Welcome to the Career Zone podcast, where each episode we spend some time focusing on something that's on students' minds right now. I'm your host, Rachel, Employability and Careers Consultant with the University of Exeter. You can catch up on all of our episodes by doing all of those subscribing and following things. We're on Spotify and iTunes. So, Lee, you have a completely different role again, don't you, which is great because we're getting getting more insights. So you are a legal director for Adidas in global licensing. So would you just be able to tell us a little bit about what that involves? Sure. So obviously it's an in-house role and effectively my role, I kind of put it into three buckets and supporting the business across those three buckets. The first bucket is licensing out. Should say this is all kind of brand licensing for a company like Adidas brand is kind of everything. I'm sure you guys know the three stripes, the trefoil, etc. Yeah. Licensing out is effectively where we allow a third party to use the Adidas brand to manufacture and sell a certain category of products. And Adidas often will do this for things which it deems non-core. So obviously Adidas is a lot of in-house expertise in designing footwear, apparel, etc. But some things like headphones, watches are better left to experts in that field, but there's still, from a commercial perspective, a, a, a lot of sense in, in having Adidas present in that space. The second bucket is probably the most interesting one, which is licensing in and design collaborations. So working with, can be other brands, it can be influencers, it can be musicians, it can be fashion houses to do kind of collaboration, special hype products. And that involves licensing in the brand or having getting rights to use another party's brand to manufacture products using their IP, working together to design new products. It's quite kind of a broad category. It can also be what we call cross-licensing, where we give rights for them to use the Adidas marks to produce certain products and vice versa. And the third bucket is slightly progressive and, and moving quite quickly, but the Web3 and Metaverse conversation. I don't know if you guys have kind of heard about that. I'm sure you've heard about NFTs and how they are falling <laughs> fast, but um, effectively, you know, you could take a lot of time explaining what the metaverse is and no one quite knows but it's effectively the concept of immersive internet where you effectively you know are able to unlock an entire from a brand perspective new way in which to reach an audience to market to sell to show up in and so Adidas is very interested like all its competitors and a lot of other big brands in kind of exploring that space. That involves a lot of licensing stuff because it involves working with players who are already kind of in that game and established. And so then the licensing out and licensing in that I discussed kind of comes back into play, but in a very different context. So those are the kind of three main areas. And as I say, I'm in-house and, you know, a, a lot of what that means is not just purely advising on the legal side. That is obviously the primary part of my role and, you know, drafting, reviewing, negotiating agreements takes up an awful lot of time, but it also, because you are part of that business, it also means business partnering a bit and helping and getting involved on the strategic side and kind of thinking, you know, from a very commercial angle. Well, it sounds like a really interesting role, Luke. It really does. And I guess sort of the obvious question is, what made you decide to, to work abroad to pursue a career outside of the UK? 
Yeah, it's kind of two pronged for me. The first decision I made was to go in-house and to train in-house, which at the Mm -hmm. time was kind of relatively uncommon. I trained at Adidas UK. I think that within that and within the world of, you know, working, especially in a big multinational company, perhaps unlock different opportunities that you wouldn't necessarily naturally see going down the kind of the private practice law firm route. And I say that because it's not uncommon in large corporations for people to be mobile and to move around different offices and move to different focus kind of areas um, across the world. And within those organizations, the legal department is a team. And so all that stuff applies to to the legal team as well equally. And so I think there is in general quite a lot more mobility and a lot more opportunity. And in my case, what happened is that towards the end of my training contract, a role came up in the global legal team here in Amsterdam. And, you know, the other side of the coin is that in-house, you know, you're kind of a bit bound by headcount restraints and whether there is, you know, any kind of development opportunities. Mm. It's not quite the same as, you know, the classic private practice route where you come in as a trainee, you qualify, you know, so it's kind of a necessity to be a little bit more flexible and mobile as well. And this role came up in Amsterdam. I was offered it. And I, again, it wasn't like I planned to move over here, but the opportunity arose. And I think, you know, for me, it added up. It was a great role. It was a city I was interested in. My partner was interested in coming with me as well, which was also very useful because that could have been very difficult otherwise. And that's how it happened. So you just really, you saw the opportunity was there and you thought, yeah, I'm interested in that. I know I want to work in-house interested in the place let's give it a go absolutely absolutely and I think yeah I think the real kind of takeaway for me there is that those opportunities were in my case really facilitated by that initial decision to go in-house and take that route um, in the first place yeah definitely and what was that um, because I know we were talking before weren't we about how you did quite a few things didn't you before you qualified as a a solicitor but what was that transition like from sort of being working in the UK to working in Amsterdam yeah it was surprisingly smooth actually and I, I say that again in the context of working in an international company weirdly in the UK in the Addy UK HQ, which is a large office with you know several hundred people in it, it is pretty much largely main huge majority English people. Mm. Came over to Amsterdam, the office is a bigger. It's a satellite of our main HQ in Germany. The main HQ in Germany has something around six or seven thousand people. In Amsterdam, we're now up to fourteen hundred. But when I first joined, it was sort of six fifty. Amsterdam is an incredibly international city. And it's a kind of a hub, historically for tax and customs reasons, it's a hub for a lot of big multinational companies. And that combined with the reasons and the things that I mentioned before about, you know, kind of this mobility within these companies, you're in an incredibly diverse and multicultural setting with the common thread that, at least in my case, the common language is English, which makes it extremely easy for me kind of coming over. But what that meant is that not only, I didn't really feel like in a work or indeed in kind of a social context, like I was coming into very clearly someone else's country or a country that I didn't know anything about or that I had to really kind of quickly upskill myself to, to fit in with the culture and the way of living. But rather it kind of felt really natural because yeah, my colleagues, 
the people that I got to know, you know, were from all over the world, Dutch included, of course. But yeah, that made things an awful lot easier. And I was also kind of used to, you know, working in that international setting as well. So although I came to Amsterdam, you know, part of me thinks it would, in the context in which I came, at least from a professional perspective, have been very similar if I'd gone to Berlin or to Madrid or to, you know, to, to any other city. Now, Amsterdam on the other side, you know, as a as a, a an English person, culturally, it's of course very different, but there are some similarities. It's an extremely easy place to move as a as an English speaker. I mean, everyone speaks better English than I do. So, you know, it's um it's I found the transition very smooth and I think it was for those reasons. Yeah, I, I think if English isn't your first language, people normally speak it better than if it's your native, don't they? In my experience. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Well, the grammar um, is certainly better. There. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you said about Amsterdam being sort of a, a very international city. So as you, were sort, as you mentioned that, I mean, I know, again, you would have made that transition before Brexit, but I was just wondering for any students that were interested now, you know, in working in Amsterdam, do, do you know what that would be like in terms of the visa situation? I don't have any kind of first-hand experience of that because no. I was luckily here before Brexit and the Dutch government were really great in the wake of the mm. referendum in terms of kind of making sure that we were all processed and able to yeah. see it. Again, from the context of, you know, working in-house or working in a large corporation as I said given that kind of it's really kind of second nature for people to be moving around within there and you often get quite a lot of support if it's a large company in terms of you know helping with any kind of visas or other requirements that you need to go through. Amsterdam is such an international city that it really it, it welcomes and it encourages expats to come over it's a a very big part of of its infrastructure you know you really saw that during the pandemic when you know there was no or much lower influx of expats there was the usual trickle out there were no tourists and Amsterdam felt like a completely different place but I don't really know kind of details beyond that and, and again for me you know we were super lucky in a sense to kind of be able to just drop everything and move um, pre-Brexit but what I know is that it's certainly not an impossibility now and yeah especially in the kind of in-house context and if you're working in a larger organization and you want to come over here through a larger organization then you know there are ways to facilitate it and support to do that. Thank you, Lou. Yeah, it's a bit of bit of a curveball question there for you because I know you didn't experience it, but I think it's something that a lot of our students are concerned about. So it's just it's helpful in itself just to get that reassurance that it's a possibility and there's kind of that support there with with the process and and those opportunities, I guess, in the first instance. And I was wondering also, I mentioned a minute ago that you did, when you graduated, you went on and you did different job roles, didn't you? I know that you did A-level law teacher, private tutoring, you said, didn't you, before, and some other things. And I just wondered, what would you say to some of our students who, finalists particularly, who haven't secured a training contract when they, you know, for when they've graduated and they're concerned about that? I'd really reiterate what I think has been said before that 
you know, there is no one linear path into law or, or any other career for that matter. It's really easy. And I remember feeling this at uni when I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I did law actually because just academically, I thought it was challenging and interesting mm-hmm. and rigorous and a solid degree to have. I didn't go into university thinking I want to be a lawyer. Nothing during university convinced me that I really desperately wanted to be a lawyer, particularly you know, seeing kind of all those events where the law fir- law firms would come to campus or you t- barristers would be in and mm. the law fair, like I went to the law fair for the 3Ds, basically. That's, <laughs> that, that, was, that was how I rolled. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think the, the key thing is just is that there really is no rush and there really is no right or wrong answer. And I think that, you, you know, it was relatively unusual when I trained in-house. I think that's becoming less unusual now. I think that there are... You know, so many routes and options out there and it's okay to take your time and to not feel or to really try not to feel that kind of impending weight coming on your shoulders when, yeah, your contemporaries have lined up 12 VAC schemes and then have a training contract lined up or whatever. Like it's, it's there, there is way more to life than that. And the other thing that I would just say there, and I'm mindful of time, is don't think that you can't develop transferable skills for a legal or any other profession by doing something totally different. I remember saying in my interview for the assessment day for Adidas and my training contract, they were kind of asking me, all right, so you've, you've taught and you've done, you know, various kind of tutoring, etc. How is that in any way relevant to being a lawyer? And I was like, well, look, if I have to go in on a short notice, cover a health and social care A-level class of which I have zero knowledge and I have a class of like 30 18 year olds and you can control that situation then I'm sorry but I'm not scared if I'm put in front of a partner (laughs) like a law firm or a VP or a CEO like there can be no better training for these kind of situations through other avenues and through these kind of transferable skills so you know I think that's something really important to remember because it is natural and I remember feeling the anxiety when I was kind of, I guess, in your guys' shoes now of being like, everyone else is progressing so much. Everyone else knows what they want to do and knows where they want to be. And yeah, you know, I've obviously had, as you need, a little bit of kind of luck along the way. But if I look back now to the to where I kind of, the avenue I ended up taking, I'm like, that was right for me. And it just took a little bit longer to figure it out. Yeah, I think prospective employers, I think they want to see that as a candidate, you've got an insight into what the role will entail and what skills you'll need to have, don't they? And like you were saying there, Luke, about giving those that health and social care example, it's about being able to give those examples, isn't it, of how you can demonstrate those skills, but they don't have to be directly law related. And I think it says a lot about a candidate, if you can show that think about it in that way and certainly when I go to a lot of webinars that's what what firms say that they're looking for why do you prefer working as an in-house solicitor instead of in private practice does in-house provide better international opportunities yeah so from my perspective and I guess I'll take that part by part that the first part in terms of do I prefer why do I prefer working in-house. I mean, my, my, I should say my experience of working in private practice is limited to a few VAC schemes and the perception that I kind of picked up from that. I worked as a paralegal for a little while. I think one of the key differences that I see is that there can be a tendency in a law firm for you to be a little bit of a revolving door. 
insofar as a client comes in, has an issue, and it can be a very meaty issue that, you know, takes an awful lot of work and a lot of involvement and has great satisfaction when the result comes out. But then they go away and they kind of carry on with their business until they need you next time. When you work in-house, you are part of that business and you cannot but forge close relationships with your key stakeholders in the business. You can't help but kind of get real understanding of how that business operates and what the strategies are of that business, what it needs to do to to, to succeed. And you're really kind of central to that. And that really helps you to develop as a lawyer as well, because it helps you to apply your legal knowledge, your natural inclination to be very risk averse and to be cautious and to spot the risks, but to actually apply that to a situation and to actually be able to start to figure out, okay, well, this is what's important to the business. Here I can advise them on where I see red flags or a risk, but at the end of the day, it's a discussion and it's a commercial decision as to what you want to do with that and with that information. And for me, I just found that and have always found that really kind of satisfying that you really feel that you are kind of part and integrated in the web rather than just necessarily being, you know, maybe just being kind of, you know, called upon just when you need it. The second part, sorry, the second part was... Does in-house provide better international opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I think for, for the reasons I said, I think there are still great international opportunities on going down the kind of the private practice route. I think that, you know, for the reasons I said, it really, it kind of depends as well. If you're working in a large international company, then that global mobility is kind of second nature to them. And it's nothing out of the ordinary. And so that just as much applies to lawyers working within that company as to your marketing guys, your sales guys, or whoever else. So yes, I think that, you know, from my experience, at least there is perhaps a a higher degree of mobility, but I would just caveat that with it. It's perhaps a little bit dependent on the nature of the company. You know, you have to have a presence internationally in order to, to move around. But equally, even if you want to hop between companies, you know, again, if you have worked in a particular type of company and you're interested in moving to a specific place and, you know, you look and you see roles available, the fact that you are at that time in another country is not necessarily a blocker. So yeah, I think there's ultimately really good, really good mobility options. This was the Career Zone podcast brought to you by the University of Exeter Career Zone. Check out iTunes and Spotify to keep up with all of our regular releases. And if you'd like us to cover something else in another episode, just send us a message, hashtag careerzonepodcast at UOE Careers on Twitter or at UOE Career Zone or at UOE Cornwall Career Zone on Instagram. And we'll follow up in one of the next episodes.